0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. We learned
1: yesterday that the nation's largest abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, abused this emergency process and grabbed tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money for which they were completely, completely ineligible.
0: That was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor earlier today as Planned Parenthood's hand got caught in the federal cookie jar. Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn is here later to discuss how the International Abortion Group, ineligible for money under the Paycheck Protection Plan, will be held accountable. But coming up first, Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden says he will reverse President Trump's policies on Israel. What does that mean for America's number one ally in the Middle East? Florida Congressman Ted Yoho, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Explains the impact. Also, war drums again in the Middle East. We'll talk about that as well with Congressman Yoho in just a moment. And the Department of Justice has put California Governor Gavin Newsom on notice as the state plans to reopen. But their reopen plan appears to disfavor churches, which will be a problem, according to the Department of Justice. Assistant Attorney General Eric Drybat is here with more. And finally, Rich Lowry from the National Review has an article that unpacks in great detail, something I was talking about earlier this week, how the media and the left, which are actually one and the same, latch on to something they think is impossible for the Trump administration to solve or survive. And when the administration does, well, the media just moves on to the next issue they can find. We'll talk about that later with Rich Lowry of National Review. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T Perkins. Hey, let me remind you of the Stand Firm app. You can get it at the App Store. It not only alerts you when it's time for Washington Watch and you can listen anywhere in the world, but also it provides you action steps on how you can be involved in preserving this republic of ours. Again, go to the, web, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Follow the links over. Democratic presidential hopeful Joe Biden said on a Zoom, rather, teleconference with donors that he would reverse course on Trump, uh, President Trump's policies toward Israel. Now, this comes at a time when Israel is facing even greater threats from Iran and from its proxies. Here to talk about this is Congressman Ted Yoho, who represents the third congressional district of Florida, Congressman. Welcome back to Washington Watch.
2: Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I, I look forward to
0: it. Well, let's talk about this. What uh, what is Joe Biden wanting wanting to reverse?
2: Well, I think the thing that the world can feel assured of, if Joe Biden wants to do it, we know not to do it because virtually every policy he's had on foreign policy has been wrong. And um, you know, uh, Robert Gates pointed this out very succinctly in his book called Duty. And um, if so, Joe Biden wants to do it. You want to go the opposite. Uh, He's he's way off base on this.
0: And one of the things he's calling for is a two state solution, uh, pushing for that, saying that he would oppose any of the annexation that uh, current prime minister, Benjamin Nahu, is uh, pursuing. Uh, which was a part of the, you know, the peace plan that uh, the president had negotiated with Israel. So, um, I mean, this, this looks like a, a total reversal of what we've been saying in terms of building a stronger relationship with Israel.
2: It is, and for. Um Joe Biden, to say he's going to reverse that, he's got to show a difference between him and President Trump. Unfortunately, it's at the peril of uh, Israel and even the Palestinians. Uh, He says that what uh, President Trump has done has uh, inflamed people and it's um, broken the peace process. But Tony, if, if we look over the last thirty years, there hasn't been a real good process there, and uh, Joe Biden is way off on this, and he, he needs to stay out of foreign policy. Uh, um, again, I would I would advise people to read uh, Robert Gates's book Duty, and find out how wrong he was on so many foreign policies.
0: Well, uh, you mentioned you, you mentioned the Palestinian Authority. Now, what uh, the former vice president says is he'll restore diplomatic ties with the Palestinian Authority. And, of course, as we mentioned, push toward a two-state solution, as he is clearly opposed to the prime minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu's proposed West Bank annexation. But he also wants to restore funding to the Palestinian Authority, which has been a source of a, of a lot of controversy because of what they are funding.
2: Sure, sure. And, you know, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up, because when I came into Congress in 2013, I found out about um, we were giving funding to the Palestinian Authority, who was using that money to pay people that committed crimes against Israel, uh, killed American citizens or killed Israeli citizens. And they got a stipend. And if they went to prison, they, their family got paid. And I think the average, if I remember right, was thirty four hundred dollars a month when the average income over there is less than four hundred dollars a month. And so we're subsidizing them, the Palestinians, to do terrorism. And that was something that we wanted that to get removed. And finally, it took President Trump was the only one that was able to do it. And um, Joe Biden wants to reestablish that. And so. He wants to reestablish the American taxpayers going to the Palestinian Authority to do acts of terrorism, and they get rewarded for that. And if a person is in prison for, say, five or 10 years, when they get out, and this is where it's just insane, that time served in prison goes towards government retirement. In addition, they built, they uh, printed up um, elementary school books, and they uh, equated, Uh, children or Israelis uh, with pigs and just it was terrible and it was just very hateful stuff. And so Joe Biden wants to restore that. And again, he's just way off.
0: Yeah. In fact, uh, an article just uh, this this past week from the Jerusalem Post talking about how the Palestinian Authority is hiding terrorist salaries from donor countries in its financial reports. This process of, uh, as you say, pay to slay, uh, is still continuing. And um, It is. It, it's something that I actually, and when I went to Israel a number of times, uh, met with uh, those in Israel who were watching the Palestinian Authority. Palestinian Watch is a great source for this. And uh, they showed, where as you pointed out, not only going to textbooks that uh, fuel this hatred, but also their children's programs. Like uh, you know, their Big Bird right. is uh, like Big Bomb. I mean, they just—it's about they—they yeah. uh, they celebrate the attacking and the murder of innocent people.
2: They do, and so go back to Joe Biden. What he wants to do, he says, we've alienated the Palestinian authority. The Palestinian authority is willing. They're they're. They're allowed to come and negotiate with us anytime. And it really should be a decision between, um, uh, the, the people of Israel and the people of Palestinian. You know, everybody talks about a two state solution. And if they can do that, we'll facilitate them any way we can. But for Joe Biden just to use politics and say, well, I'm going to reverse what President Trump does. He is clueless of what he's, what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll stay in his basement. And it won't be an issue.
0: You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Uh, Congressman Ted Yoho, my guest uh, from Florida. Uh, Congressman, the um, when you look at some of the positive or some of the policies that this administration has pursued uh, in terms of moving the embassy, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing that as the capital, I mean that that has been huge. Now, you you it talked has, it to has been. We heard when that was going to happen, that there would be all of this uh, turmoil, that there would be rioting and there would be people dying in the streets around the world. I mean, every move that the Trump administration has made in regards to Israel, it's the naysayers have said, oh, this is going to lead to greater conflict and, and war. And in fact, it's not. Uh, and what Joe Biden wants to do is reverse those types of things. Now, he, he did not say on the call yesterday that he wants to reverse the embassy move. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he he has basically said he's not going to touch that. Um, uh, but many of the policies that have actually brought us closer to possibly a managed peace in the Middle East, he wants to undo.
2: Yeah. And um, just briefly on the on the uh, capital, uh in Jerusalem, um i think the past five or six administrations said they were going to do that but they never did it president trump was the only one with a backbone and a spine that was willing to do that um there's there's a thing and and you know you know to remove a Band-Aid, the best thing is just to rip it off in medicine you know we deal with horses and they get these chronic ulcers in their eyes and they call become what we call an indolent ulcer The only way that will heal is to turn it into an acute situation. You look at the Palestinian-Israeli peace process. You go back to Jimmy Carter and the policies of Henry Kissinger under Nixon. We have been dealing with this since 1948 when Israel became a state. Something has to change. The status quo does not work. And so like that indolent ulcer, sometimes you have to have an acute change of direction to get people to pay attention and say, all right, let's solve this problem. And it ultimately will be the Palestinian people working with the Israeli people find something that they can agree on. And I think this really wakes them up to say, you know what, it's not going to be the same old, same old. And, um, you know, um, I'm just glad President Trump did has done what he's done. And he's pulled that funding from the Palestinian Authority, that was paid to slay, like you said. And um, those policies need to end, and we will not support those with American taxpayers' dollars.
0: And to, to be clear on this, as I've traveled there, and I know you have as well, they, mm-hmm. the, the Palestinian people and the the Israeli people, the, yeah. the Jewish people, um, those that are living in the West Bank, they're, they're actually working together. This is not a problem with the vast majority of the people. It's the leadership that's being propped up with this this money. And that's what it's doing is giving them the power to influence the people, whereas the president's policies, President Trump, is creating business opportunities and people to have jobs and not be dependent upon the Palestinian Authority.
2: You know, you're absolutely right. And if people weren't able to go over there and travel like you and I have and they see the Palestinians working with the, the Jewish people, They don't have a problem with it. It's when you get governments involved and you get these small minded people in government that their whole existence revolves around conflict to keep them in power. And we need to get rid of those people, not just over there, but in our country and every country where people are there to serve themselves or a party versus to serve a nation.
0: Very quickly, uh, Congressman, Yoho, I want to transition to another Middle East issue um, with Israel. And the Hezbollah in mm-hmm. Lebanon, the, the the war drums are beginning to beat there as uh, we're beginning to see uh, some incursions there into Syria. Uh, we're seeing Hezbollah making threats. Are, are we are, are we possibly going to see something uh, erupt over there soon?
2: Uh, there's definitely saber rattling. And I can only thank Iran for being the biggest supporter of Hezbollah. And uh, let's hope that doesn't happen, that uh, things can come to um, some kind of diplomatic truce. Um, you know, you and I, in our lifetime, we've seen so much conflict, and we've never seen a great world war, and we nor do we want one, and we don't want anything to be a flashpoint. Um, let's just hope calmer uh, heads prevail. And, uh, you know, I can only imagine that the underhand of um, Iran and the Ayatollahs which we know are supporting Hezbollah. It's their biggest source, Uh, and it's a proxy group for Iran. Uh, They would love nothing more than to distract uh, Israel and the United States to um, have another conflict somewhere to take the eyes off them.
0: Well, you're right. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Of course, the uh, U.S. sanctions are probably the only thing keeping them in check right now. After they had all right. of the uh, the spending spree from the Obama era and the nuclear deal that uh, oh, enabled yeah. Iran to uh, to fund those proxies, uh, Congressman Ted Yoho, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Tony, thank you, and I appreciate what you do. And take care. God bless.
0: All right, thanks so much. Find out more about Congressman Yoho. Go to the website Tony Perkins. All right. Coming up next, the Justice Department uh, putting California Governor Gavin Newsom on notice as uh, their reopen plan appears to disfavor churches. We'll talk about that next with uh, Assistant Attorney General Eric Treiband right here.
3: As coronavirus restrictions begin to ease, many Americans are grappling with how to adapt to the changing times. The last few months have transformed how worshipers think about church and how they are fed spiritually. While many churches are conducting services through live streams, drive-in services, and other means, questions still remain. What practical steps can we take? Are current restrictions appropriate? Do these restrictions violate the Constitution or religious freedom protections? Family Research Council has a new publication discussing religious liberty issues and offering practical guidelines for how churches and houses of worship can begin to operate as our country opens back up. Visit frc.org slash guidelines to view this resource and learn more. As always, visit frc.org slash church for our full list of resources for churches in the time of coronavirus. Masculinity in America has
0: never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold.
3: Stay for-
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, the website TonyPerkins.com. All right, California Governor Gavin Newsom has uh, released his plan to reopen the state gradually. The problem, it discriminates against churches. Surprise, surprise. Well, yesterday, the U.S. Department of Justice sent a letter to the state notifying them that this is a constitutional concern. Joining me Now to talk about it is Eric Dryvan. He is the Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice. Eric, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh,
4: Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me.
0: So what are the concerns about California's reopening plan?
4: Well, we were concerned and and are concerned that California's reopening plan uh, essentially imposes standards uh, on religious worship that are not imposed on similar non-religious. Uh, events, practices, gatherings, things of that sort. Um, So, for example, under their current plan, uh, at least as of yesterday, um, California is permitting uh, all kinds of things, the entertainment industry, uh, workers who support commerce, and things of that nature to go forward uh, with social distancing standards. But at the same time, uh, California is prohibiting uh, faith-based services uh, even if they adhere to social distancing standards and this raises uh, for us and I think for everyone concerns under the free exercise clause of the First Amendment to the Constitution
0: so there's there's an issue here of, of equitable treatment that if you're going to treat one Entity one way you've got to treat uh, you you can't treat a religious institution any less as I understand because a religious institution exercising a First Amendment freedom actually has a higher level of protection than a non constitutional function is that correct
4: that is entirely correct Tony so uh, under the First Amendment to the Constitution um, we have we as Americans have the right to the free exercise of religion and neither Congress or any state government. Can make any law that uh, prohibits the free exercise of our religion. And so religion, in fact, in the Constitution, uh, has, a st- has a higher level of protection than, say, other non religious activities that are unmentioned in the Constitution. That's not to say those other activities are unimportant, right. but rather religion itself, the protections for religion, uh, have a distinct place in our country and in our law.
0: So, you know, on its face, they can't be treated any less. And that's uh, that's what we see occurring here. Now, this is not the first time the Department of Justice during this pandemic has weighed in. You've actually filed letters of interest stating a position in both Mississippi uh, and Virginia. Is this case any different than uh, than those previous two? I mean, those were lawsuits. This is more just expressing a concern with the state.
4: Yes, so that's correct. So we, we have weighed in in federal court in, in the case, as you mentioned, Tony. Uh, here, uh, what we've done is we've gone directly to the governor. Uh, and we've done this with mayors and governors throughout the United States over the last month or so uh, through our United States attorney's offices around the country. But in this case, what we did was we, want, we wanted to express the concerns that we've identified to Governor Newsom. We copied uh, the Attorney General of California on the letter as well. Uh, and our hope is that, that working with the governor and the Attorney General and the other authorities in California, that they will reflect upon what we've said to them and that they will agree uh, that their reopening plan does raise these concerns about religious liberty and, uh, and work with us um, and, uh, and, and hopefully uh, – Uh, remove what we regard as uh, potential obstacles here to the free exercise of religion. You know, not everything needs to be done in a federal courtroom. And and one of the things the Attorney General has asked us to do, uh, Attorney General Barr, uh, is to work with uh, state and local government officials to try to uh, bring about protections for religious freedom and other protections uh, to the extent we can, either in court or out of court.
0: Well, this is a I mean, in this fashion of sending a letter ahead of time, you're not waiting to have to weigh in on a lawsuit. You're saying, hey, let's 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 prevent that from occurring and let's see if we just can't resolve it. Here's some here's some suggestions. And uh, and I'm I'm sure I don't know if he's responded to you, but it it sounds like in his public statements, he is rethinking his position on churches.
4: Well, we, we and we've had success with many other jurisdictions going this route. So, for example, the mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, a couple of weeks ago, uh, issued an order that restricted uh, religious worship in, in the city of Norman in a manner that was very similar. Concerns and working with the United States Attorney in Oklahoma, uh, Timothy Downing, we sent a letter to the mayor and she backed off and she changed the position that uh, the city of Norman was taking at that time. And we've had similar success with other mayors and governors' offices around the country, and we're hoping that we, we can likewise prevail here. And Tony, so what we did in this case is McGregor Scott. Is the United States attorney uh, that is the head federal lawyer, federal prosecutor in uh, Sacramento, California. He's uh, acquainted with uh, the officials in California, and so we're hoping that uh, through McGregor Scott uh, and and our efforts via the letter that uh, the California authorities will rethink their position.
0: I, I want to uh, very quickly a quote from you in a Wall Street Journal article that I think appeared yesterday uh, was, quote, when the pandemic is over, we do not want to look back on this period of time and think we allowed governments to take actions to violate our constitutional and civil rights, end quote. Now, Eric, I assume that, you know, what we tolerate in this crisis begins is the beginning point in the next.
4: That's correct. I think the the, the current crisis that we are facing as a nation obviously has devastated many people, many people have died, many people are sick, and the virus remains present among us. On the other hand, I think the American people are rising to the occasion, acting as a general matter in a very appropriate and courageous way to engage in social distancing, to be respectful of one another. And I think as government officials, we have an opportunity as well Uh, to reflect upon both the very important responsibility public officials have, but also to operate within uh, the framework of the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the other laws that protect us as Americans.
0: Well, there are many, many uh, people. All across this country, grateful that we have a a Department of Justice that is watching out for those first freedoms and and guarding them so that we might exercise them. So, uh, Eric Dryband, thanks so much again for joining us. And again, appreciate all the work that uh, you do. Thank you, Tony. All right, Eric Dryband with the Department of uh, Justice. Wow. You know, folks, I hope you're not missing this. We've got an administration that is aggressively going out to defend religious freedom. I mean, don't forget what we were faced with six years ago, five years ago, in an administration that was attacking our religious freedom. That's what you call the results of elections. All right, coming up next, Planned Parenthood got their hand caught in the federal cookie jar. The PPP, the Paycheck Protection Plan, wasn't for them. But they jumped in. We'll talk about it next. Don't go away. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right, Planned Parenthood affiliates improperly applied for and received $80 million in coronavirus stimulus funds, according to federal sources. Planned Parenthood uh, was not intended. This program at the Small Business Administration was not intended for them. Earlier today, this is what the Senate Majority Leader had to say on the Senate floor.
1: And we learned yesterday that the nation's largest abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, abused this emergency process and grabbed tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money for which they were completely, completely ineligible. This is the organization that fired its new president last year because she was too focused on broader health issues and not sufficiently fixated on abortion above all else. Disrespecting human life is their central mission, and they just took advantage of a national crisis and helped themselves to tens of millions of taxpayer dollars they were clearly, clearly forbidden from taking. It goes without saying the money must be sent back immediately.
0: That was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, as I said earlier on the, uh, earlier today on the Senate floor. So what happened? We're well, here to talk about it. Congressman Kevin Hearn, who represents the 1st District of the Sooner State. Uh, he is a member of the House Small Business Committee. Congressman Hearn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for
5: having me, Tony.
0: So this was meant to, to help those small businesses to keep the paycheck protection plan. Just to remind our, our listeners, this is what kept uh, the, the, the unemployment rolls from growing even more by getting this, these loans to small businesses, less than 500 employees. Uh, how did Planned Parenthood get themselves into this and get this money?
5: Well, there's no question that Planned Parenthood was an abuser and a violator of the, the PPP, the payroll, our senior paycheck protection program rules. And they, they used this affiliation rule by segmenting off of their, their 37 different locations around the country uh, that all were under the 500 employees. But when you aggregated them all up, they were well over the 600 employees. And the only place that that applies is to the over 700,000 franchise uh, locations around the country. And they snuck in behind that, and it's it's not a small number. They received over 80 million dollars in in taxpayer money. Uh, as we all know, the federal government has the money. They have our taxpayer money, and you know they already receive over 500 million a year in taxpayer money and have for you know eons to provide abortions, even though they deny them. And what's really problematic about this is that while you know the Democrats want to call out companies uh, that receive the money. Uh, legitimately, uh, while it might not be, it seemed like an ethical uh, uh, receiving of the money, they gave the money back, uh, whether it be Ruth Chris or whether it be Shake Shack or others, uh, they gave the money back. Uh, and, and so we're trying to push on and are pushing on Planned Parenthood to give the $80 million back, and they're resisting big time. And they, you know, Speaker Pelosi set up this oversight committee. But we expect her uh, to also go after these folks as
1: well.
0: You know you bring up a good point, Congressman Hearn, the fact that Planned Parenthood receives over a half billion dollars in taxpayer money already I mean this has been a big, contentious issue. Why should Americans be forced to be a partner? With the world's largest abortion provider. And I mean, they're global, but they're the largest abortion provider in the United States. And, and while the money does not go for abortion, we know that funds are fungible and it can uh, cover their overhead so that they can spend more of their money in abortions and not to mention the political activity they're involved in.
5: Exactly. And that's what really bothers, uh, certainly all the Republicans, conservatives like myself, like yourself that are, that are pushing hard on this because Clearly, they have abused this. When they have uh, one of the big issues that Secretary Mnuchin has talked about in the administration is if you had the ability to get money elsewhere, then you were not eligible for this loan. And uh, clearly, we know because uh, Planned Parenthood's budget's over a billion dollars a year uh, that they're getting you know 500 million, upwards of 600 million dollars of taxpayer money. They they won't get any more of that money. Uh, But they will go out and get other uh, private donors to take care of them. They're not going to go under by any means. But they snuck in, got the $80 million taxpayer money. It needs to be given back. And we want to give that money back. Uh, I recently, uh, just yesterday, actually sent a letter to uh, uh, Small Business Administrator uh, Carranza uh, and asked her to, as we receive this money back in from these different places, places, and as as the small businesses over you know four million or so that have gotten these loans want to give money back, that the money would go back into the PPP program so that we could re uh, reconstitute if you will, keep money in there while we're waiting on future legislation to re repool it or put money back in there, and that way we keep moving along and just to give you an example, four million loans, ten thousand dollars that's forty billion dollars of additional loans could go out. and so we need Planned Parenthood to do the right thing, uh, the legal thing and give the money back. And uh, we'll continue to push on the speaker to make sure that it happens.
0: And if they don't, are, are they subject to prosecution for possibly f- falsifying information on any of the reports?
5: Well, clearly, they've, uh, once the clarity came out, and it's not like you waited to uh, question 31 or question 34, 36, and these are, if those are out there getting these loans, they would know this. But these were like three weeks after the fact. The, the loans regarding Planned uh, Parenthood were actually in question three and question five. So these came out on April 2nd, the night before the loan. So there was no misinterpretation what it meant.
0: Yeah. So intent here um, does not look good on their behalf. Congressman, it, it Kevin, Hearn. Congressman Kevin Hearn, thanks so much for uh, for joining us and uh, staying on top of this issue. And we'll, uh, we'll check back in with you to see the outcome.
5: Thanks, Tony, for all you do.
0: Thank you, Congressman Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. That's in the uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma area. All right, when we come back, Rich Lowry, editor of National Review and author of The Case for Nationalism, joins us next. He uh, unpacks an issue I talked about earlier this week. You don't want to miss this uh, discussion with Rich Lowry. That's coming up next here on this edition of Washington Watch.
3: As coronavirus restrictions begin to ease, many Americans are grappling with how to adapt to the changing times. The last few months have transformed how worshipers think about church and how they are fed spiritually. While many churches are conducting services through live streams, drive-in services, and other means, questions still remain. What practical steps can we take? Are current restrictions appropriate? Do these restrictions violate the Constitution or religious freedom protections? Family Research Council has a new publication discussing religious liberty issues and offering practical guidelines for how churches and houses of worship can begin to operate as our country opens back up. Visit frc.org slash guidelines to view this resource and learn more. As always, visit frc.org slash church for our full list of resources for churches in the time of coronavirus.
0: Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin, have seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man wherever books are sold. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. The website TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's uh, at Perkins. All right, I- I've talked about this um, uh, f- a fairly. Frequently and earlier this week, you know, over the past uh, several weeks, Americans have experienced uh, what I would say is a near miracle as the Trump administration worked overtime to get scarce medical supplies to where they were needed just in time. I mean, whether it whether it was, uh, you know, personal protective equipment, PPE, as they call it, uh, respirators, uh, ventilators. Um, The only problem is the American people haven't seen it. They, They haven't read about it. Uh, How this happened until now, Uh, because the media is so committed to opposing the president, they refuse to cover anything positive. In fact, what happens is they 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 jump on something that they think is impossible for this administration to solve or survive. And then when they do, they just shake their heads and they move to the next issue. I mean, right now, as we talked about earlier in this week, it's about testing And, and the idea that every American, every American, every American has to be tested. I mean, there's no precedent for that. But until, and of course we're on track, as we talked about, to produce uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 million tests a month coming September, uh, the administration will meet that really what I think is unreasonable um, objective. Well, here to talk about kind of how this has unfolded in the coronavirus uh, pandemic and how the administration has systematically met uh, these goals is Rich Lowry of National Review. He's a, he's documented this incredible achievement and has written about it. And it's a great article. In fact, you can find a link at Tony Perkins dot com, and I, I encourage you to read it and share it with your friends. Rich, welcome to Washington Watch.
6: Hey, Tony, thanks for having me.
0: You know, I I had been talking about this before I saw your article. and I saw it, I said, you, you documented everything. I mean, this administration has done some remarkable things in the last two months. Only for the media to move on to the next story.
6: Yeah, so Tony, I got interested in doing these kind of stories when I, I did one about a month ago on ventilators. We all, we all remember how there was going to be a potential ventilator crisis in the hospitals. We had a shortage of ventilators; there weren't enough enough ventilators in the federal stockpile, and that problem was solved. And we didn't read it in the press how it was solved What happened? You know, how did this miracle come about? And some of it was that the models projecting what the hospitals would face were wrong, but um, some of it was really inspired improvisation by the Obama, the sorry the Trump administration on the fly. They figured out that a lot of the requests they were getting for governor from governors were over asks based on no realistic data or no knowledge of what was going on in the state or how many ventilators they had. So, you know, when Cuomo said, I need 30,000, if they would have tried to send them 30,000, it would have been a debacle. Instead, they realized they could do just-in-time deliveries in 24, 48 hours so they could wait to see what was really happening rather than acting based on projections. And then they realized if they guaranteed um, states that weren't hit by the the COVID the same way that they would get ventilators from the feds, if they lent ventilators to the hard-hit states, it opened up this huge supply of ventilators that no one had. Uh, counted on. So anyway, that, that's a long way of saying uh, I, I, I've thought the successful aspects of this have been neglected by the press for a while. And I think it's basically the same story with PPE, this protective equipment. Yes, they should have been on it sooner, but once they really got focused on it, they, they did a, a bunch of, of really clever and effective stuff. One is they realized, unfortunately, a lot of this was made in Asia, and China, they work the sec- six top medical distributors in the United States. You got that stuff. You usually bring it over by boat, which takes three weeks. We don't have three weeks. We're going to charter planes from UPS and FedEx and fly it so it takes 21 hours to get here. And you get to keep half of it to supply you know, the, the usual hospitals around the United States because they, they'll st- still do surgeries. They st- still might have a problem with COVID, but we're going to take half of it and allocate it to the hardest hit areas based on uh, a data analysis from FEMA using FEMA HHS um, uh, data, CDC data to get it to the hardest hit hospitals. They cut a big deal with 3M to get 166 million masks uh, from Shanghai that usually stayed in China. Um, Instead we, we cut a deal with 3M and told the Chinese you know you gotta kinda deal with this. this is stuffs coming back over to the US and they put in these big purchase orders with, with 3M. That means 3M's prior to the crisis, every month they're making 33 million of these highly prized N95 respirators. By the fall, they'll be making 94 million a month. That's a huge deal. And you know, if you, if you search for it, you can find this in the press, but it's usually embedded in hostile uh, stories. That uh, have um, very oftentimes absurd criticisms in them. Um, so, no one will just tell straight what happened with ventilators and with PPE, with testing. That story hasn't really been told either because the media is just fundamentally committed to um, a hostile narrative about everything this administration does.
0: And and Rich, you point out in in your piece that this was not your average bureaucratic bureaucratic response by any means. Um, this was something that I personally I think only this president and the administration that he's put together with an with a more of a private sector viewpoint was able to forge a public private sector partnership that was able to deliver this stuff in record time.
6: Yeah. So the approach was. You know, there's a Defense Production Act, Korea, war-era law that we've heard a lot about that would allow the federal government just to take this over from soup to nuts, every aspect of the production, uh, the supply chain, the logistics, the delivery. And they thought about that, but they, they realized that would be a gargantuan task for the federal government to take on in the midst of the crisis when it need everything working right away. So they rejected that. And the other option would be just to to let the market sort itself out at a time when there was this massive uh, disconnect between supply and demand. And markets work these things out over time, but you can't do it instantly. So they forged this middle path where they'd work together with the companies, use their existing um, supply chains and logistics and delivery, and tap into their data, but direct it. So they kept on making the stuff. But the federal government was making sure that was getting to the kind of hot spots that might have had trouble getting it otherwise. So to me, that seems like a, a really shrewd uh, compromise. But you still have people saying, and the same people that say this is the worst and most incompetent administration ever, on the one hand. On the other, that it should take over the entirety of, of the production, manufacture, uh, and supply chain and delivery of this stuff, which makes no sense.
0: I mean, they can't do anything right. It, it, you know, they could... I think the president could cure cancer and he'd be accused of making hospitals go out of business. I mean, it's just
6: yeah, well, a classic example of this is Chuck Schumer has been on TV saying, Mr. President, we need a general. We need a military leader in charge of our supply chain at the very same time since mid March. We've had a military leader in, sub- ch- in charge of the supply chain. Admiral plugcheck who's, you know, didn't fall up the turnip truck. He was a vice president director of logistics of the joint chiefs and he's been honchoing this from the beginning but there's just such a level of ignorance on top of the hostility that you know cnn anchors don't stop and say well wait a minute <laughs> there's an admiral in charge of this you say it's, it should be a general but it's an admiral um... so it's just uh, that kind of thing just over and over again and um, it, it th- th- we've never had as much uh, news as we've had uh, in this era as many different sources of news at the same time we've been so poorly informed because there's such a herd instinct on, part, on the part of the media and it's so hostile to the administration
0: You're listening to Washington Watch I'm Tony Perkins, your host, Rich Lowry my guest, he's the editor of National Review author of The Case for Nationalism and uh, has, has a great article um, that I would uh, encourage you to take a look at you can uh, find it, go to TonyPerkins.com follow the links over but, Rich, I mean, you've been in the media for a while. You've tracked this kind of stuff and, you know, Republican, Democrat administration. And, and but, but by no means is this administration perfect um, and, and certainly, I think, um, sometimes antagonistic, if you will. But this the media has reached a new level of hostility that and, and I used to be a reporter uh, years ago. And so I, I've always been, you know, somewhat had an affinity for the media. But. I've never seen this level of outright hostility where the media has almost become the opposition party.
6: Yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. The media has always been liberal. But one, they they feel that they have permission, the, the Trump era, to be more open about it than ever. And then I think social media, and particularly uh, Twitter, have had a really uh, bad effect. So there's just day after day, they're, they're false narratives, uh, just Uh, Yesterday, there's this big story about Ron DeSantis in Florida supposedly firing uh, the the head of his data operation to distort the data and the the numbers that are presented to the public out out of Florida, which is just a complete lie. And, uh, of course, we've also seen DeSantis smeared, um, you know, for a couple months, supposedly he's going to get Floridians killed because he has such a lax and and, uh, uh, idiotic attitude towards the COVID response. And I read a piece that posted today on Florida's response, talked to the governor and his team at some length, and he had a really shrewd approach, an approach that probably would have been better if other states took as well. He realized that you know Miami is different than the panhandle, so they don't necessarily need the, the same response in every single part of the state, but also that uh, there, there had to be a laser beam focus on the nursing homes, protecting the nursing homes, saving the nursing homes, getting COVID patients out of the nursing homes into the hospitals. Which was the opposite of what New York, New Jersey, and folks in the Northeast did, which was to go out of their way to get COVID patients from the hospitals into the nursing homes.
0: Yeah, yeah, cr- crazy. You mentioned a moment ago we were just uh, the the issue of testing because that that is the, that, that's what they're latching on to now. Nancy Pelosi over the weekend. Uh, on the the Sunday shows, saying that testing, testing is everything. We've got to have the testing, and, and we're not getting the testing. And and this idea that every American has to be tested, tested for what? I mean, if you're not sick, why are you going to be tested?
6: Yeah, well, you, you want to have a, a certain amount of surveillance to, to make sure that nothing's bubbling on the surface you're, if you're not aware of. But uh, th- this is another narrative that is... Uh, Passed its sell-by date. There is a story actually in the Washington Post, give them credit, uh, yesterday or today, about how a lot of states now, they have more testing capacity than they have testees. They're desperately trying to get people to show up for tests. So we've, we've had this discussion of a shortage of, of testing, and, and we certainly did ha- have that at the beginning, you know, for months and months now. And no one's really readjusted to the, the fact that beginning about a, a month ago, the testing kicked into a different gear. It's been going up. We've been uh, almost at 400,000 a day for, for a while now, and it's going to go up from, from there. And as you pointed out at, at the beginning, you know, in the fall, we should be able to do a massive amount of, of testing if it's necessary. And another um, false media narrative is because you're getting more testing in a lot of these states, you're going to find some more cases. So then they point and say, aha, you know, this is a debacle. In Georgia, there are increased, uh, or in Texas, there are increased cases. Well, it's only a, a, a function of the increased testing. And what you really want to focus on, as, as you know, is the positivity rate. You know, right. and places like Texas, that's been going down. Places like Florida, you know, it's been under 5%. So the media is just unwilling to accept any good news about the trajectory of this epidemic. Cautious, but clearly we're on the other side of the curve of this thing.
0: And, and the, the testing, there's a story behind the testing as well that is very similar to the narrative on the protective uh, gear, uh, and, gear the and the ventilators. It's the, the, the issue of uh, the private Uh, public partnership where they used competition to get people out there to create these tests.
6: Yeah, so, you know, the testing, as Jared Kushneroy says, you know, gravity and time uh, make it impossible to do things instantly, right? And it turned out there were a lot of basic things that we weren't making in this country anymore. And you just can't conjure those out of thin air. It takes some time to uh, develop the manufacturing capacity and and get the companies up and doing it. But we're in that, that better place now.
0: Well, Rich Lowry, great article, and I'm so glad you wrote it because um, it did, as I said, unpacked in great detail what I saw happening, you know, from a 30,000-foot from a view, how they just uh, hounded the president on one thing, he solved it, they went to the next, he solved it, and, and they went on to something else. So great read, folks. I encourage you to take a look at it. Um, again, Rich, thanks so much for joining us.
6: Hey, thanks, Tony. God bless
0: all right. Uh, Rich Lowry, editor of National Review. Again, uh, you can read the article. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Follow the links over. But the, the hostility, the level of hostility toward this administration is is unprecedented. Now, I, I, I saw this trend in the media shortly after the election of Barack Obama. Um, the, the, the left started going hard left. There became a clear division between, you know, you had for a while there, you had Fox as the conservative standard bearer. You had MSNBC way to the left and CNN kind of veering left. Both of those have gone hard left. And even Fox, you know, I'm I'm concerned about what Fox is doing. Um, But this president, part of the issue is that he challenges the media and he is dismantling the left's infrastructure, going back all the way to FDR. That's why they're incensed, because mostly when a Republican comes in after a Democrat, they just kind of stop the bad stuff. They never undo it. This this is quite significant. Keep your eye on the policies. Don't be distracted. Dig down. Listen to Washington Watch. Encourage your friends to listen to it, where you can hear the newsmakers and find out exactly what's going on, because there's big stuff, big stuff happening. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to have you. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.